All right, y'all. I'm with my boy, Tony Lavelle. Yes, sir. All right. First question I got for you. Yeah. Can you talk to us about your upbringing in Memphis and how it influenced your musical style and sound? Ooh, my upbringing in Memphis. All right. So I'm from a neighborhood called Frazier. You know, if you know Frazier, you know Frazier's very, very, very street. You know what I'm saying? And, like, to be real, like, it is rich in culture, hip-hop, but still impoverished. So, therefore, that right there creates a sense of um, connectivity because, you know, there's not much to do out there. So, we all together beating on the tables, coming up with raps about the neighborhood and things of that nature. So, it's real street, real hip-hop, you know what I'm saying? So, therefore, growing up in Frazier, school field to be exact, it really gave me a hip-hop foundation that rhythm that drums and so obviously i picked up on drums and another thing about my upbringing is although i was from the streets my family is deeply religious and spiritual so we had to go to church pretty much every sunday every tuesday we there no matter what so i'm getting a blend from the streets to the gospel sound so picked up drums at an early age from like the age of two years old i was already good at playing drums i can't even remember they said i pulled out pots and pans and i was just playing since i was born and so therefore just hearing the, the gospel sounds and the street sounds and also the soul sounds of Memphis, it really developed my musical ear from an early age. And so the childhood, it was beautiful. I liked it. So gospel, soul, hip-hop, mm-hmm. they're all integral parts of Memphis musical heritage. Yeah. How have these genres shaped your approach to creating music? Okay, I would say that from the from the gospel side, it's sort of like, singing out, you know what I'm saying? You're going you're going you're going to put your passion into that. You're going to put your soul into it. And obviously it, it, it comes from God too. So God definitely plays a major role in it, but just from the sounds of it all, I would say that like harmonies, like I come from the church I grew up in, the choir was just like one of the coldest choirs, like award-winning choirs. And so at first growing up, I ain't going to lie, I thought that every church had a choir like that until I go visit. I was like, "Oh, this ain't this ain't usual." I was just like, "Oh, I I choir really raw." So from hearing that, I would say I learned how to develop harmonies and, and about just like theatrics and things of that nature from church, you know what I'm saying, just having a soul. And then from, I would say, Memphis style, like a lot of cities get a lot of credit for that trap sound, but that trap sound originated in Memphis. Miami too, they at Miami base, they really used to that, but the 808 sound, but Memphis has really got that sound. So therefore, I feel like even the sound that's popular today, they come from Memphis. And so therefore, having that blended with the harmony sound, like it kind of gave me a unique style that I felt like is not many other places. Knowing how to put layered harmonies on top of real, real hard-hitting beats. And then the soul music, so that lyricism, so you get like Isaac Hayes, all these different people, Al Green coming from Memphis. So therefore, just growing up around that kind of stuff. And, and to, be, to be real, Memphis is a smaller city, so you see these people around. It's not like it's like foreign to us like it's like Houston where we at now is a humongous city you don't see the Houston pioneers well we see bonds sometimes but Memphis you can you can see Al Green at the grocery store you like it's Al Green right there bro that's like ah <laughs> my dog my dog there shopping for some groceries you know what I'm saying I'm like dang that's <laughs> but yeah so growing up in Memphis that, that really was really impactful to my musical sound that you hear today like if you really can pay attention to it you can hear it so who are some of your biggest musical influences and how did they find their way into your music? Oh, we I like that question. So started out was Kanye West, absolutely. Like I remember growing up I loved gospel and R and B. My dad, big R and B head, my mama big gospel head, so therefore just hearing those sounds and then my dad, really a big hip hop head too, so Jay Z was always his favorite rapper until one day this young fella come out 
talking about he got into a car wreck and all this kind of stuff. To my somebody ordered pancakes, I just sipped the scissor. I'm like, what? I'm like, daddy, you said he drinking syrup. He like, no, nah, that's a metaphor. He's saying like, I'm like, oh. Then I hear she got a light skinned friend, look like Michael Jackson. I'm like. What are you talking about? He like, oh, he's saying this. I'm like, oh. From that point on, I started writing. I was just like, I like that. I was like, that 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 that, that feels cool to me. So I started to rap at the early age. Probably like, what? Yeah, he came out. I was probably about eight years old. So from that point on, I was like, this is what I want to do, 100%. So I started rapping. So Kanye West, for sure, up until the point where I go to high school, start liking girls. I started liking Jamie, singing little Jamie Foxx. And Jamie Foxx was one of my favorite singers. And then... I tell you this right here. Where it really shifted at me is when I discovered this writer and producer and singer by the name of Static Major. Static Major, when I heard that, Drake sampled him. I already know him. Of course, we knew him from Lollipop and things of that nature. But when Drake sampled him and I took a deeper dive into all the stuff he wrote, So Anxious, Pony, and stuff like that, it took me to a whole nother level. So then I got really deeper into Jodeci and Missy and stuff like that. That's when I really developed as a singer-songwriter. All right, so let's talk about your music. Yeah. Walk us through your creative process when crafting lyrics. What inspires your songwriting? So, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it's just funny. But I would say, usually it's conversations. Like, I hear somebody say something like, usually girls, I've got a lot of lady friends and things of that nature, and they'll say reassurance, little words like that. So the word will stick out to me, so I'll go and write it down. I'm like, oh, wow, reassurance, boom. I need to talk about that. So I really start off with the title first. Like I have like a list of 200 different titles and some of them already came out songs like Let Me In, Love You Out Loud, etc. Like I start off with the title first and then eventually I may hear something on the radio. Or I'll be playing the chord progression. If it feels good to me, I f whatever I'm feeling that day, I pull from the title and I'll be like, oh, I'm playing these chords. Like I've right, got a guitar real quick. I'll be sitting there and I, it'll be something like this right here. I'll be like this right here. I'll be like... I'm like, I'm like, dang, faithful. I'm like, oh, I want to be faithful. I want to be a faithful man. I'll be like, I'll be faithful to you. This is how it started off with chorus, the, the, the title, and then the lyrics come from there. All right, so looking back on your career journey so far, yeah, what would you say has been the most pivotal moment or experience that propelled you forward as an artist? As an artist, I will say, mm, so at 17 or 18, I would say I got my heart broken, <laughs> like every young fella did, 100%. And so then I wrote this song called Ease My Pain. When I wrote that song, I sang it for a few of my cousins, and they went crazy. They was like, oh, my God, bro, you finna be famous. You're going to be a star. So then I sang it for some of my homies. They're like, oh, bro, this is crazy. This is crazy. So then I was just like, hmm. I'm like. I must got some right here. So then next thing you know, I started to get noticed by a lot of people in the industry, like uh, Sway Lee, like the song, like people from CMG, etc. Like I dropped the song and I started to circulate a little bit. And I was just like, OK, I'm working with something. And then after that, I really ran out of money. I quit my job. I thought I was going to be a star just off of not promoting. So I quit and then ran out of money. I'm like, oh. Dang, so I got to go back to work. So then went back to work a few years later. I joined a production team. And then I, after I joined that production team, I reached out to some people and I uh, get an opportunity to pitch some songs for Rihanna. And so that was a big thing for me, just like writing songs with Rihanna in mind. And um, I almost, almost made it again that time, too. But 
didn't have no money no more. <laughs> so I was just like, you know what? Let me move to Houston. And here we are now. All right. So shout out on shout out on releasing Boy Meets Girl. Yeah. Talk to us about the concept behind the album and what you aim to convey through its tracks. Okay. So Boy Meets Girl originally started. So as I said, I got my heart broken. I wrote Ease My Pain. So then I was a part of the production team and I quit that, moved to Houston. So when I moved to Houston, I saw the climate, and I didn't like it. The men versus women thing, you got the manosphere, you got misogyny, hypergamy, and all that kind of stuff. I was just like, but the stuff really lame because we really need each other. So ain't going to lie, back then I was, a, I was a player. It was about 2019, 2020, so I was a real player, but I got a lot of sisters, and I saw some of the things that the women were going through, and I was just like, I don't like this. And so then I, I began to change, and I would say that I um, started to seek Christ, that really was transformative in my development as a uh, artist and things of that nature. So then next thing you know, I ended up uh, getting filled with the Holy Ghost. So when that happened, my perspective started to change. I said, I need to protect these women. I need to speak on this kind of stuff. So that's when I began to write an album called Boy Meets Girl. So then I was like, I'm going to write about my my experiences, what I would crave for, my perspective on dating and things of that nature, and I began to write. So I, I hit a stumbling block within that album, and I was just like, I'm stuck. And then I realized at some point I was just like, Lord, I'm writing this album, but I need you to send me somebody. You know what I'm saying? I was just like, I'm ready to, to meet someone that I'm, who was the one for me? He answered the same day. So after that happened, the song started to flow in like, I don't know what, like the song started coming about, accountability, uh, <laughs> overthinking, all these songs. I was just like, the songs just came back to back to back to back to back. Just in courting her and trying to be with her, that's how you got part one. And then after part one came up, after I went through more situations, part two, which is yet to be released, but... I wrote that album, the whole thing, probably about in a week or two. Like, I was going through so much at that point that I said, I was on fire. So I'm so excited to release that. So Boomy's Girl comes from just my dating experiences and me noticing the climate and then me receiving the Holy Ghost, which elevated my abilities and my awareness, opened up my eye to what's going on in today. So I feel like I offer a unique perspective on these things. Of Boy Meets Girl. So Boy Meets Girl, just I wanted to take it back to the early stages of when you meet a girl, you like a girl, you get a girl, you lose a girl, try to get her back, all that right there. So that's what Boy Meets Girl is. All right, so I'm going to ask you about three tracks on the project. Okay. First one I want to talk about is Nostalgia. Nostalgia. Girl, I want to love just like the 90s. So Nostalgia, oh my goodness, that, I love that song so much. So I start off... The funny thing about that song is, like, a lot of people give me tell me I sound like somebody from the 90s, for sure. And I was just like, I don't know if it's the 90s I sound like, but just I just feel like the 90s was just pure. You know what I'm saying? Just the movies, the music, etc. So you're just getting a certain feeling that you're getting from the 90s. Although I am influ influenced by the 90s, though. So I was just like, well, let me play that up. Everybody say I'm 90s then. I was just like, I want to love like the 90s. And so I, I came up with a concept to write something like that, very, like, Timbaland, Aaliyah influenced, Static Major influenced. I was just like, I jammed this thing out. So even from the lyrics, like you got, when I say, girl, I'm really feeling you, but I got to take my time because the ordinary just won't do. So then I said, um, so like, what, what else I say? I'm trying to be playing love songs as we stroll in the bins. I want that love, Jones, Nia Long, and Lorenz. Keep it genuine. I ain't worried about your friends. Like, I feel like I just played on a lot of the innuendos on the 90s and stuff like that. Like, I'm really pleased with that record. Second verse when I say, um... 
I want a kiss, take the take the pics, smash the fits like daddy and mama did back in 96. I'm like, oh, I'm really, I was like, I was in my pocket on that one. I ain't gonna lie. I'm proud of that record. So nostalgia is probably one. I don't like to pick favorites, but it is one of my favorites. I'm really pleased with how that record turned out. And really, I ain't gonna lie. If I had a budget, if one of these big time labels would quit hating on me and put some money behind this thing, I know that song would have took off. But hey, we do it ourselves. All right. The next record I want to talk about, this one, a personal favorite of mine. What's that? Let Me In. Oh, <laughs> let me in. So let me in was the last song that I wrote on the album. And I knew it was going to be the biggest because it was just fresh to me. But I, I think I recorded let me in maybe like a week or two before the album came out. Maybe maybe two two weeks or so before the album came out. So I was uh, as I wrote this album, I expected the relationship or lack of thereof with the woman to go another way. You know what I'm saying? And then when it wasn't going that way. I had I wrote a song about it. I was just like, dang, girl, I'm trying to see if you, if I've been on your mind, like you on mine. I never felt this way before, and God showed me signs that I can't ignore. I'm like, I pray for you every night and day, and I change my ways. Don't be afraid. You know what I'm saying? In the second verse, I'm like, I know you focused on yourself, but I'm only here to help. So take your time. I'm here to stay. Soon you'll be mine. I got the faith. <laughs> so I'm like, let me in, girl. Like, like we good. Like, we ain't even got to do too much. You just let me in. And so therefore... You can hear the passion in that thing. Like I was like crying out almost. Like on the you see her on the second chorus. Like I I take it to church on there and like at the end like let me in. Like I was pouring it out there. Like to me some of these songs they so deep and so real to me that I don't even like listening to them. I almost want to shed a tear to the gun or something like that. I'm like yeah let me in. I was in my feelings for sure on that thing when I just poured it out there. And I'm glad that that song really did the numbers that I thought it should because. You feel me on that one for sure. That's what really opened the door for the next album. I was like, oh, they finna feel me for sure. All right, and lastly, I want to talk about Superwoman. Superwoman was one of the first records he played for me. Like, yeah. And the batch of records. Yeah. And to see where you took that record to. Yeah, talk the strings. About that. My fault, my fault. So, yeah, with the strings on there and whatnot, I would say that, like, so Superwoman, I talked about... um producing for Rihanna potentially like I had an opportunity for that so the song that I wrote actually for Rihanna was Superwoman you know what I'm saying so then therefore when I lost the connection to her I was like you know what this song banging keep it for yourself you know what I'm saying so it started off with these chords like so if you hear that uh the, 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 I'm thinking about her cry with me cry with me I'm already I'm already thinking Riri you know what I'm saying so that's what I was in I was in that bag like that and then, um, so the lyrics at first, the song had a whole nother meaning to it. <laughs> you know, re-re, how she get, how she come with them lyrics. It had a different meaning to it. And so then eventually I was just like, well, if I want to keep it for myself, I want to make it something positive, but something funky and groovy. And so then I wrote that song maybe back in, had to be about five, six years ago. Produced it back in maybe 2018, 2017, something like that. And so then I met a great string player by the name of JD. And so then we just added more musicality to it the orchestration from the strings the viola and the violin and then also i played on certain lyrics and harmonies and i knew that that song people were gonna like that a lot because it's one of the more different songs but that superwoman actually was written for rihanna that's funny <laughs> all right so looking ahead what are some of your goals for your music career i know you're working on a deluxe absolutely are there specific achievements or milestones you're aiming for yeah, so so in the short term, I'm, I'm ready to tour. You know what I'm saying? I play up to 20 to 30 instruments. I don't even know myself. Like, pretty much anything you put in my hand. I feel like when you put me on the stage, 
I feel like I'm one of one. I, I'm just be uh, humble, but I'm just be honest. Like I feel like I can probably go down as one of the greatest who ever did this thing. Should I get the right opportunity? So therefore, I'm ready to tour right now. I'm ready. I know certain background singers I want, certain band members I want, and stuff like that. So in the immediate future, I'm ready to tour so I can connect us all together in love. I want to make my live shows be immersive. You know what I mean? I want them to be connected. I want somebody to find them a boo in my shows. You know what I'm saying? Like I want. I, I like that. I, I like to play. Cupid and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like my music uh, at these shows is going to be really connecting to everybody. And also, that's the short term. And in the long term, I want to do a lot of philanthropic work. I want to venture into a lot of different spaces. I got a lot of influences like Ice Cube, how he ventured out into sports and film. Yay, how he ventured out to fashion and culinary, all this kind of stuff. I want to be able to do these things. And some stuff I ain't even going to share. But <laughs> I want to do a lot. And I see that God really got his hand on my life. And I understand why he gave me these abilities. And so, therefore, I want to be able to do a lot of big things with it. And also, start a label. You know what I'm saying? I got a name in mind and I want to be able to discover talent. I, I'm inspired by a lot of people like Andre Harrell, LaFace, all these people and um, Devontae Swing, what he did with the basement. And there's a lot of talent around me and I feel like I know how to cultivate talent from. If you're a producer, I know how to help you be a better producer. If you're a musician, I know how to help you be a better musician. If you're an A&R, like all this kind of stuff, like I want to be able to have an empire. So therefore, yeah, I got a lot of big goals and like I said, in the short term, I'm ready to tour. What role do you think artists like yourself play in influencing the direction of the music industry and its impact on society? And talk about like changing the narrative of R and B yeah. in the R and B space. Yeah, hundred percent. So you got artists like to me, it's the difference between just a musician and an artist. You know what I mean like sorry, it's the difference between the beat maker and the producer? You know what I'm saying? So I would say that artists. I look at certain artists like. Um, Say, for instance, if you take, like, a Brent Fayez or someone like that, someone who really, really speaks to a certain thing, a certain topic, like, I feel like he's really reflective of where things are today. So he's, like, a perfect mirror of our society today. And so for me, I feel like in that way of, like, Brent, SZA, Bruno, etc., I want to be reflective of my experiences and influences. So therefore, I come from the church, and also I come from the street, and also I'm a man who's been delivered. So I want that to be reflective in my music. And I feel like as artists, you don't go where the crowd wants you to go. I feel like you go where you go and make the crowd follow you. You know what I mean? So therefore, you you figure out what they what they like and how you can mix it in with what you're doing, but you still you stay in the driver's seat no matter what. So I feel like art imitates life, and also art influences life. So the point being made by that is I feel like artists have a important role to society. Curtis Mayfield understood that. Stevie Wonder understood that. Michael Jackson understood that. Prince understood that. Kanye West understood that. So I feel like, to be to be completely honest with you, our generation is completely lost right now because the musicians are lost. I'm like, what are y'all rapping about? That's why we got NBA players who, who, who want to do certain things and I ain't gonna call no names, but we know what they doing out there. Like I'm just like, nah, that ain't that ain't that ain't player right there. So for me, I'm like, all right, it's my time to speak out, speak up against this right here, and um, push a different narrative and mandate. So I'm I'm all about faithfulness. I'm all about love. I'm all about being woke, helping out your community, all these kind of things right there. So therefore, I feel as though artists, it's important that I take off 100 because I feel like artists like me can shift society. All right, let's get off the music for a bit. Let's right. talk about your family. Talk yeah. about your siblings. You grew up in a family of 12, right? Family of 12, man. So that that's really 
I got seven sisters, you know what I'm saying, and four brothers. And ten of them younger than me, so I'm real protective. If you're my friend, I treat you like my brother. You're real protective. And I understand that, like, uh, that's where it comes from. And see, growing up was really beautiful, I would say. Even though we didn't have much, we had each other. So as everybody know, I got a sense of humor. We used to do this game where it was called the No Laughing Game. And as you know, it's 12 of us, so we used to have a couch. We all sit on the couch, and one by one, we stand up and try to do stand-up comedy for each other to make each other laugh, and we had a chair sitting across the couch. So if you lost, if you laugh, you have to sit in that chair. It's 12 of us. So if you laugh, it's 12 people sitting in one chair, or 11, until the winner wins. And one of my brothers, he always won every time, because as soon as the boy get up, he ain't got to do nothing. He just standing there. We laugh instantly. Like, <laughs> so anyways, so it was really, 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 really an experience growing up in a, in, in, in a family of 12 and I would say that like most of my siblings have certain abilities pretty much all of us can do some play some type of instrument or cook or something like that they all just say it's just a typical black gifted family who didn't come from much like you got the weigh-ins and all that you got the Williams we just another cut from that cloth as well I know you just recently shot a new music video let's talk about the release of your deluxe uh, Boy Meets Girl yeah so the song that I said, the first song that I wrote when I was 17, 18, that kind of took me out there called Ease My Pain, you know, as I went through new experiences with this woman who I fell in love with, I was just like, it's time to bring the song back. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, it's almost a 10-year anniversary of it. I was just like new and improved. I was just like, okay. So I went back to Memphis because it's real Memphis. The song was very Memphis, so therefore I went to Memphis to shoot that video and I... Got my part two, Boy Meets Girl part two coming on. It's about all these experiences that I went in trying to court this woman or losing her, getting her back, etc. So part two is not part one. Part one was beautiful and musical. Part two is edgy, modern, and right to the point. Like, it's going to surprise some people that I'm, that I'm coming like that, but I was going through it. I'm going to be real. So I, I expressed, you, you're going to feel what I was feeling when you hear that album that I was going through it. And so part two, I know that it's going to shift culture just from the simple fact of the urgency of it, the the vulnerability of it, the everything. Like I just poured it out. I didn't sugarcoat it. I wasn't romantic. I went straight to the point on part two. So point me made is I'm excited about what's to come. And like y'all feel me on this album because I poured it out. Talk about some of the records that's coming on the deluxe, like Hill. Yeah, talk to me. Yes, sir. So, <laughs> so this this record I got called um, Hill. You say Hill first. Hill is about the mistakes that I make as a man and the mistakes that she made as a woman. And I'm just saying, hold up, we, we got to heal because we got a real love, and if we don't heal, then we won't we won't experience it. We won't be able to receive it. So therefore. Heal is dramatic. It's back and forth. It's it's, it's it's different, and and also another record is you mentioned was talk to me. Talk to me is saying like <laughs> trying to give me to spill the beans, man. But I'm, I I spill a little beans. So at one point we weren't speaking, and you know women of nowadays you'll get blocked. So I was blocked, and I'm like, you ain't gotta block me though. I'm like. We can we can have separation. We can do all that kind of stuff. But to, to block me, I want to know if you're safe, if you're still alive, anything. I can't even check up on you. Like it's like that though. Like it's smoke. So talk to me and saying it like, dang, like, like why why you got to do that though? You know what I'm saying? I'm just like just talk to me if you want some space, whatever it is. Just talk to me. You ain't got to do me like that though. So I pulled out in these records, man. I got another song on there called Princess Treatment. I'm just 
saying I want to treat you like a queen in spite of all of this right here. You don't deserve it. I got another record safe with me saying like, yeah, you safe with me though. I'm just like, we good. So I feel like this 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 album will permeate culture. I, I feel like I'm working on a classic and uh, I'm glad that, I'm really glad for the up and down experiences because I feel like our generation needed something like this and I needed this situation for my own personal development and growth. God don't make no mistakes, so I'm grateful for it. All right, let's talk about how music looks for you in the future. Mm-hmm. As an R&B artist, give us an insight of how that transition in the future from producing to songwriting, the technology that's coming out, AI, yeah. Yeah. what's the future of music looking like for you? I believe we're going into a season to where music is going to be the best that it has ever sounded. Because as we can see, our generation is getting tired of what's been fed to us. I mean, and so therefore, with technology, I feel like we're going to be able to blend the old styles and the new. You're seeing that, like, you got microphones like the Sony C800 that I like to sing on quite a bit. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, oh, this never been done before. Like, harmonies on a Sony C800 with the 808s that I got with a certain synths and talk box and stuff like that. I'm hearing the sound even from myself. I'm like, I know I can't be the only one who noticing all the capabilities of it. You got a lot of high-end engineers and high-end artists. Shout out to all the artists that's doing it on a major level. I got a lot of favorites. But the point being made is I see music going to it way more positive and immersive space than it is today but our generation has to have an ear for it and they have to have a craving for it but once they i feel like really i'm probably gonna be the one who's gonna kick it all off but after i do what i do it's gonna be more people who come along to follow after that module because you look back then it took like the ray charles the stevie wonders of the world the yays of the world and you get the big shans the wale's all these different people so or start off with big then you get hove you get Nas, etc so therefore I just feel like we do. It's, it's long overdue for somebody to come through who had the musical ability and technology also is meeting at the same time to where. And then also music travels way faster now. You know what I'm saying? You got it, all these different platforms and things of that nature. So styles, I'm, I'm even learning about no, new styles that I haven't heard of. Like And new styles are learning about us. Like you see Afrobeat is really patting themselves after certain things from American America patting themselves after Afrobeat. Same thing as K-pop. Like sometimes I don't even know what they saying. What I'm like... Well, you said that. <laughs> they coming like Jodeci. So I'm like, I like where music is headed 100%. And so I know a lot of the big sticklers or the old heads thinking that music just going down the track, going down the drain. But I hear it. I see it a whole different way. I'm like, nah. Once these people learn their purpose, when they learn about love and stuff like that, music finna take a new heights because look at me. Like, I found out about all these different writers who I didn't know of from back in the day and all this kind of stuff. So it's all there for the taking. Let's talk about the importance of being a songwriter and you know you're, you're bigger than an r&b artist you, mm-hmm. you write and produce your own songs so talk about the importance of being a songwriter okay so i don't no disrespect to nobody and their gifts but i produce i play instruments and i write songs and sing and rap in my opinion the greatest gift in music that you can have is to be a songwriter because I feel like it's the most difficult and effective position that one can have. Like, like, take 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 for instance, you take Timbaland, Aaliyah, and Static, right? You don't get, girl, I gotta watch my back. I'm not just anybody without Static. You know what I'm saying? You don't get that. So for me, songwriting is the most important 
piece. Like, you can have the hardest beat in the world, but if you ain't talking about nothing, sometimes, sometimes the beat can't carry it, but a great song can carry anything. So I feel like the lyrics, I'm a lyric first guy. You know what I'm saying? It's all about the lyrics for me. I would say that uh, songwriting is key, 100%. And, like, for me, I really, really, really take songwriting very seriously. Like, I go over a line a million times until I feel like it makes sense. Like, the, the lines must be extremely cohesive. Like, when I say, like, in nostalgia, when I say, uh, uh, slow dancing by the fire, girl, that is my desire, I want to take you higher, a different world, Dwayne and Whitley. Like, what? Like, that's a bar. You know what I'm saying? Like, people people not catching that. Like, I'm, it's a song about the 90s, but then I say, take you higher, a different world. So I feel like the little double entendres and in your windows and metaphors and similes and stuff like that to, to people who really really love songwriting that's just like ear candy you know what I mean so therefore i feel like songwriting is the most important thing that you can do as an artist all right so challenges are part of any artistic journey mm-hmm. share share a significant challenge yeah and how you navigated through it to emerge stronger okay okay it's been a few it's been a few like um finding a good studio to record at was a major major challenge and for me when i first started out producing and recording i used to go to the studio and make everything at the studio like i didn't have equipment or nothing like that because i couldn't afford it when i first started out so i used to go to the studio and produce the whole song at the studio whatever sounds they had at the studio i used that record the whole song and went home so that they kind of helped me out a lot but then when it came time that big names start to call me and i didn't have no equipment i had to rely on my team who had their own obligations and so therefore i missed out on opportunities like producing for rihanna producing for a lot of other artists i, I lost those opportunities because i didn't have equipment so eventually i got my own equipment so then when i got my own equipment i had to learn how to use the equipment i'm like oh lord have mercy so it took me so long to just develop my sound seeing that my sound doesn't even really exist right now it's just like a new vintage modern sound so therefore who would i go to what engineer could i work with and so therefore like nobody and nothing was handed to me at all like it was a lot of people hating on me doubting on me and stuff like that and wouldn't even and then sometimes i feel like even engineers would be jealous of me and producers would be jealous of me i'll come record with them they could easily connect me with somebody that they know but they wouldn't do it from the simple fact of they want to be the man i'm just like you can't be working with engineers who low-key competing with you and stuff like that so that's a challenge the industry politics of the world is a challenge also developing my sound was a challenge as well as um yeah i would say those are the biggest challenges they've been so far how do you find a balance between music and your personal life or how do you how does your personal life influence your music uh, I would say my personal life is my music. Like I don't, I'm not, a, I'm an open book. Like sometimes people tell me, like my dog Rael, he was just like, bro, you you, you share too much. Sometimes you, every time I see you talking to somebody new, I'm like, bro, I just pour it all out there. You see, I ain't, I ain't scared to speak on something. Something happened to me. Hey, you shouldn't have did it because <laughs> you know it's going into a song, baby girl, for sure. <laughs> or the homies, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm, I might diss you or something like that. Like you did it. It's just the way I express myself because I'd rather do that than lose my mind. You know what I'm saying? So. Or go off on somebody. So I would say that uh, my personal life always goes into my music. And also, um, yeah, I don't balance the two because they uniform to me. They're the same thing. Bet. 
You said five minutes? Huh? He was said five minutes. Bet. Talk about some of the messaging in your music, you know. From the music I heard, you have themes of love and all. Talk about, you know, like the current state of relationships, you know. Where do you where do you see relationships today? And the things I feel like women need to do better at. That's why you got songs like Men Deserve Love. I'm just like, girl, like. Like, no, nah, you got to do a little bit more for me, baby girl. I know I know, I'm supposed to be courting you, but I still need a little inspiration, though, sometimes. Like, be expressive with me. Like, let me in. Same thing. Then I have songs like Accountability saying, like, dang, I've been forcing you a little bit too much. I'm like, you've been through some things. You need to heal. And that's a task that can't be rushed if this is to last. I'm like, dang, I'm like, I need to take some accountability myself that I'm being a little too forceful. So I feel like even on accident, that was a direct reflection of relationships of today which is this right here. I feel like, yes, the women I feel like aren't doing enough sometimes and they're choosing the wrong guys when there's a lot of signs there, honestly. But I feel like the right guys also aren't patient enough with the women and don't have enough grace for them to learn from mistakes because women are delicate in nature. You know what I'm saying? They preyed upon. You know what I mean? They got to be protected and they, and they have a nature that can be learned. So that means that the wrong guys sometimes can get the right girls because women are learnable and teachable and stuff like that. So with that being said, it takes the good guys to sometimes give more grace to women and it takes the women to understand that you got to look at men from this lens right here. Say for instance, you got a dude who make, who's 27 years old. He make 150K. You got another one that make 85K. And most women going to say, give me that 150K just like that. But baby girl, in today's time, you want to find out if that man loves God, if he loves you, if he's responsible. Because the same man who made 150K could be a scammer. <laughs> and baby girl, I tell you right here, if he's scamming, he's not going to love you right. If he can't stop drinking, he ain't going to love you right. If he can't stop smoking, he ain't going to love you right. And straight like that. Because though, like I said, I saw a lot of people like Tony Gaskins. He speaks on, he's a, lot of, he's a guy who I look up to a lot and hear some things he's saying. He was just saying, like, which some I agree with, that. Faithfulness takes morals. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you don't have morals, how can you be faithful? You know what I'm saying? It's already hard enough to be a faithful man, but if you got certain habits that you can't break, how could you do that? So it takes a keen eye, and it takes the right man to speak out against a lot of things. So I, the only reason why I'm getting in this space of relationships and speaking on that, like, my next album after this one, I hope to talk about something different. But for now, I see that it's a mess of this thing, and I feel like God has granted me wisdom on these topics, and I want to speak out a lot against a lot of the things, like the misogyny that goes on and also the hypergamy that goes on from the women. I'm just like, hey, we got to look at people who really connect with us we got to find first i feel like you should seek god first just have him direct you to the right one because that's the first instruction because love god is love when you look at the definition of love it is god so love comes from god so how can you try to find love outside of god you're going to mishandle it so for me i feel like it's a order of events that we must do before we just try to go seek love and so therefore because we sure need each other oh straight up i, I hear that i don't need a man or i don't need none of these women with my hand please <laughs> i need a woman and i know the women need us absolutely we stronger together made for one another straight up this is a boy meets girl i'm speaking on that i'm like nah i ain't gonna cap and i know that i can be moving out here and moving and grooving a different way i want one woman be a faithful man of god straight like that and i'll get out the game out of that you know what i'm saying <laughs> All right, talk about your relationship with God. 
You know, you were just baptized recently. Yes. Talk about your faith. Okay, so growing up in the streets, I would say that uh, it affected me in a heavily way, in a heavy way. But the thing that gave me hope was church. Sometimes I was just like, okay, church is good, and I and I would say that I was always raised in a church that speak, spoke on the Holy Ghost baptism in the name of Jesus and things of that nature. But I would say that my life was so bad that I didn't even believe it. I was just like. Man, is God really real? Like, why we why we going through this? Why I'm seeing people getting shot and stuff in my neighborhood. I'm just like, man, God must not be real. I might as well just go be a gangster. So I ran away from home and I was just like, I'm just gonna be in the streets, etc. So then eventually I stayed with my grandparents and I was had I was required to go to Sunday school and things of that nature. And you know me, I'm rebellious at that point in time. I started skipping Sunday school. I was like, forget that, I'll be in the hallways until one day I got caught by the uh pastor's wife and she was just like, Nah, you come on to Sunday school. <laughs> I was like, Nah, I'm going there. She's like, Nah, I'm making sure you go. So I go to Sunday school. And from that on, my life began to change. Just that one-on-one talks with one of those elders, my life began to change. But I still had a little bit of that streak mentality left in me so one day i decided that i wanted to get a face tattoo i was gonna get a <laughs> i was gonna get a tattoo above my eyebrows i was gonna be the first r&b singer to do that outside of jodeci <laughs> and so then when i was about to do it i was talking to my cousin then i looked down on the floor and there's the book from the sunday school that i just had the sunday school book and the page said before you make this decision will this decision affect your body negatively will god be a proud of this and will your family be proud of this so from that point on, I was like, God, you got to be real. I'm like, no way this is happening. So then I, eventually I was like, all right, whatever. So I started to read a little bit more upon God and just try to get closer to God until I moved to Houston. And I still was caught up in my player lifestyle. And then my dad gets filled with the Holy Ghost. When, I, when my father got filled with the Holy Ghost, I knew that God was a redeemer. Because some things that I unfortunately endured in my childhood, seeing my dad turn his life around was like transformative for me. I was just like, what? My daddy? Like, I never saw that happening. Like I told you, it was just put me on rapping, all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, pops? So then at that point in time, I started to pray a little bit more. And then one day I was watching the church service at work. And then as I was watching it, I ended up repenting. I was just, Lord, I want to change my ways. I want to let go of this player lifestyle. I want to let go of these things I'm caught up to and addicted to. And as I was speaking, next thing you know, I got filled with the Holy Ghost and I spoke in tongues. So that really, really showed me who God was. From that point on, my eyes got opened up. So uh, as I met the woman who God sent me and I fell in love with her, just through through courting her, through the heartbreak of it all, it showed me where I was weak at because I felt myself about to go back, right back to that player hard-nosed dude. So I was just like, I'm missing something. Then God showed me it is time to get baptized because them old sins were chasing me. So I got baptized in the name of Jesus as well. And so then from that point on, everything started changing after that. And I started applying things in a new manner. My eyes got clearer. I got to see God. I began to prophesy. I began to do miracles and things of that nature. God did miracles through me. So that's where the second album comes from too. It's just like me questioning like, Lord, why is this happening to me? But I feel like I tell a great story on that album. And also my faith plays a major, major role into my abilities. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about your legacy. Mm Mm-hmm. Where do you see yourself as an artist in the next 10 years? In the next 10 years, I want to be a humanitarian. I, I, 
I think that I may be a billionaire in 10 years, and I want to be able to have multiple foundations. I want to be able to have done a whole lot of things, humanitarian work in our community and also globally, because I feel like not only do I feel like in America, especially the South, the plight of black people is just like, it's, 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 it's disgraceful seeing that as we are some of the people who have built this country, you know what I mean? And the, 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 the circumstances that we are enduring, and I feel like this must be fixed. So therefore, I want to have a hand in that. But also, what I learned in coming to Houston, how multicultural Houston is, I'm like, oh, some of these same plights are happening to everybody around the globe. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, man, I see what's happening over there in Asia. I'm seeing what's happening in Africa. You know, Houston has a humongous Nigerian community. So I got engulfed in that community, even had a Nigerian artist live with me for a year and helped him produce his album, overcome a lot of trials and tribulations. And I got to learn about the culture. So I was just like, Ooh, God, I want to help all these people out. Like whether you white, black, Asian, Hispanic, et cetera, I was just like, all these people need help. So of course I want to help our people first because I feel like for the most powerful nation there is, and our people built it, but our poverty and the respect level that we don't even have Seeing that we all that we've done, I want to be able to fix that. So in ten years, I see myself doing a lot of philanthropic humanitarian work. That's my main goal. Like music and all these other things, they're just like small on the scale of what I want to do. I know why God gave me these gifts. All right, you know I gotta ask you this one. <laughs> Stevie Wonder versus Michael Jackson. Who you taking? <laughs> Who I'm taking, man. Steveland Morris, man. That's who I'm taking. Come on, man. Come on, man. Have you heard Ass? Come on. Have you heard Isn't She Lovely? You mean Michael? 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 That dude, though. But Stevie Wonder is the greatest artist of all time. Absolutely. Like, Mike, you don't get Michael without Stevie. You know what I'm saying? You don't get Michael without Stevie. That's straight up. Like, they were on Motown. He got to see Stevie. So that's why he Mike. You know what I'm saying? And then... With all due respect to Mike, but they were taking all Stevie musicians, Greg Feeling Gangs. Like, he come and play on Thriller and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's Stevie keyboardist. You know what I'm saying? So he knew, Quincy knew what to do. You know what I'm saying? Quincy had, Quincy had, uh, I mean, Mike had Quincy and all, and Rod Temperton, all that kind of stuff. Stevie was Quincy and Rod Temperton and Mike all in one. And I bet you if Stevie could see, he'd probably dance like Mike too. <laughs> he would hear the moonwalking all day. Right now he just hit that, but I bet he'll hear some uh, if he could see. <laughs> I bet he could. So Stevie, Stevie, that dude, man, for sure. He's my favorite artist of all time, absolutely. What you listening to today? Right now, I'm listening to a lot of old gospel, like Reverend James Moore. I listen to a lot of stuff that you wouldn't expect me to listen to. And then um, as far as new artists, like I said, I named something like Leia. I love her. Devin Morris, and I, I jam his stuff a lot, like Bro Cole. Um, Thundercat, I listen to a lot of Thundercat. He does some cool stuff. Bruno Mars, I got to speak on Bruno because I feel like Bruno is the Stevie of our generation. I listen to a lot of Bruno old stuff and a lot of niche stuff too. And also writers like James Fauntleroy, his songs, the unreleased stuff. And like, it's a lot, it's a large um, spectrum that I pull from and I listen to a lot of gospel, mainly gospel though. So outside of music, what are some of your passions or hobbies? Basketball, unfortunately, I broke my ankle. I'm going to hoop. Hey, anybody can get mad at me, I'm going to hoop to the day I die. I don't care. I'm going to be 70 getting buckets out there. Basketball is one of my biggest uh, hobbies. I love the game of ball. I, I Hopefully one day I can start a league. Also, I love to cook. Every kind of food that you can name. I come from a big family, and I want to 
absolutely opened up restaurants and companies and catering businesses, etc. And then film. You know, I've wrote multiple films and also acting. I love to act and dance. Those kind of things I'm real passionate in. And also fashion. You know what I mean? I like to... I started out... Before skinny jeans was a thing, I was already wearing skinny jeans. I'm going to tell you how I was doing it. I used to take my pants, cut them, and sew them back together and make them slim because my grandma was always buying me them husky pants. I was just like, man, grandma, I ain't fly. I want to be like Cali. So I was already rocking it, getting laughed at for wearing the skinnies with the phone pods and stuff like that because I'm from the hood. So the style was still behind. There was only Air Force Ones and Samoas. That's the only thing that was, everybody was rocking. I'm just like, nah, I want to rock the retro dunks. I'm trying to rock the phones. The style that they got now, like one day I went back to the hood, to the high school, I'm like, everybody dressed like me now. But back then I was getting laughed at and I lost best dress by one point. And I, I, I'm still mad about that. I was just like, nah, fam. I was like, I, I, the stuff I came and did at this high school should be immortalized. They should have my picture on the wall from some of the risky stuff that I did, the leather pants. I was doing that before everybody was doing it. So the point being made, the haircuts, man, I was trying all kind of stuff. So, yeah, but the point I'm making is, um, yeah, fashion, films, food, sports, like just a full scope of things is what I'm interested in. Let's talk about your fans, your fan base. Have yeah. you, like, had anybody come up to you say, like, your music has impacted my life? Absolutely. I had someone say me, tell me one time, a woman, an older woman, she was just like, your music give me hope for love and life. It just inspired me. I'm just like, you would think that I was singing some gospel or something like that. I'm just like... Wow, just all these love songs. She was just saying that basically seeing a man speak on love and the perspective that I had was hopeful to her. It gave her hope. And so for me, that almost made me cry, to be real. I was just like, man, like a lot of times I get a lot of compliments about just like the sonics and the musical ability, stuff like that. But here's something like that, like that really touched me. And another comment I heard was uh, that a song that I got coming was like, it can revitalize hip hop in a way as well. It's just like, it makes me care about it again from you hearing you rap too. I was just like, man, that's what I want to do. So therefore it means a lot to me to hear those things from certain fans and things of that nature. Like, yeah, I get the generic comments, but when it's one like that, they really touch me. Talk about, you know, Memphis. Yeah. Like, the community in Memphis. Yeah, so Memphis is getting a... Memphis need a rebrand, I'll tell you that much. Memphis is a city. It's a church on every corner. Memphis is a city. If you go into Kroger, you mess around and have a conversation with a stranger for two hours. They'll be like, oh, baby, how you, where your mom, where you go to church at? Like, Memphis is like, it's, hey, how you doing? Shake your hand, give you a hug. I'll pray for you in this aisle. But Memphis is just looked at as only just like a street city. Yeah, it's street, but that's because of the poverty line. You know what I'm saying? Memphis is a talented city. Memphis is a brilliant city, a beautiful city. You got an incredible ball player, incredible chef, incredible rapper on every corner, incredible singer on every corner. But, like, I feel like all Memphis need is somebody to invest in it, somebody to wrap his arms around it and highlight the positive things about that city because that's where I come from. That's where these abilities come from. So that city is special, and that's why everything I do is for the city. I rep the city everywhere I go, and when I make it, you know I'm going to bless the city. So point being made is, yeah, Memphis is, is to me, Memphis is the South. Like, to me, it's not no other city in the South but Memphis. I feel like everything that we know about the South comes from Memphis, in my eyes. Like, I'm like, the food, the culture, the church, like, all the Holy Ghost, all that church God in Christ founded in Memphis. Like, Memphis is the black church. And so you got a lot of churches mimicking 
what they found from Memphis, you know, saying shouting and stuff like that. Don't even speak on the Bible. Don't even preach on the Bible for real. They just mimicking what you hear. Everybody doing that now. So it's making other people think it's false. But a lot of this stuff really originated in Mississippi, to keep it real. But I look at Memphis as the capital of Mississippi. We Tennessee, but we, don't, we ain't nothing like Tennessee. It's straight up. So what's some advice you would give to a younger Tony? Younger Tony, I would say, boy, forget what everybody's saying about you, boy. Forget what everybody's saying about you. You right. Every, everything you thought you were, you are right. But humble yourself. Pay attention to what God is saying to you above what anybody else is saying to you. Forget about them girls. Forget about their swag. Forget about that. Talking your stuff to them. Stay focused. Get closer to God and just believe 100%. Forget everything. Lock in. That's what I would tell younger Tony for sure. That's what I could tell Tony today too. (laughs) Keep it real. What were you like in high school? You were part of the band, right? Yeah, I was in the marching band, and marching band was full of talent. Big Boogie, a big artist. It was a lot of talent, man, like, uh, in the marching band. It was gangster, but musical. In high school, I was very different. I was a dude who was like, I ain't gonna lie, I got into a lot of debates with people because I had a certain different style in the hood, and I was the same way. I was, And I was going to let you know how I felt. I'm like, hey, man, you ain't coming on my swag like this. So, But it was, it was beautiful. I loved my high school, and, like, I was saying, like, I was very different. I would say I was really, you could tell that I was like set apart from everybody, really misunderstood in a way too. I was pretty popular, but misunderstood. You know what I mean? Like I, if I can go back in time, I probably wouldn't go as hard at everybody as I did. I would just like be, chill out a little bit. Like we just different, but like back then I was at people next. And so therefore I will say that like high school, I, I enjoyed it. I look back on it fondly. What are some of your earliest memories related to music? And how they set the foundation for your musical journey? I would say going over to my uncle's house, my uncle Ernest, he was a guitar player and singer. And like he's always come and have us singing the songs he wrote. We I was in a gospel group growing up and we used to tour different churches and stuff like that. So when I think about music, when I hear music, I hear it through that lens of where I grew up in. And so that really impacted me a lot. And another thing uh, was when um I um, got a keyboard when I was eight years old. My granddad brought a keyboard home, and I started to play it. And I remember um, one time I clicked a button on the keyboard, and it was a demo that played. It was like, then my parents come running out the room because they thought I was playing. They were just like, oh, my God. What was? They were like, oh, we thought that was you. From that point on, it made me want to play. I was just like, if that made them light up like that, I need to play like that. So you fast forward. I remember it was eight. So fast forward about seven years later, I was at my godfather's house. And I was playing the piano, his old piano they had in there. So his uncle was in there laying down. He came running out the room. He was just like, man, I heard that playing. I was like, who is that? So the same thing that my parents did ended up happening to me a few years later. And that was just like gratifying to me. I was just like, you made it, boy. I was like, boy, you got it. So therefore, music has been special to me. It's the only thing that got me through those trying times growing up, impoverished, through heartbreak, all this kind of stuff. So music to me is much deeper than just hearing something like you can, have, you can be the wagon stars in the world, and I'm going to like your song because music is special to me. I'm like, if you like it, I love it. Straight like that. What are some of the challenges as an up-and-coming artist, you know, trying to break into the music industry, and what advice would you give other up-and-coming artists? Like I said, 
the game is real political and also the algorithm is one in which it's hard to crack through. Like if you look at all these apps, it's basically a marketplace. It's basically a store. So if your stuff at the bottom of the shelf, it ain't going to get looked at. You know what I'm saying? So therefore, you really got to pay to play or know a lot of people. See, for me, I'm from the hood, so I don't make hood music. I'm like... It's kind of tricky. Like a person sees me, they expect me to already be up here. But I'm like, you got to realize I'm from the streets. So it's taking a while for me to get stuff to my target demographic. So any advice I would give to people, which is, is focus on the people within your network and you collaborate. You collaborate. They, they invite different audiences into your um, into your audience as well as do a lot of creative things like live performances, go to random stuff, go out there in public, do little stuff like that. You got to really be out here in person doing fly stuff that you can use as content. So therefore, that's the only thing that you can really do and do things outside of music as well that that can bring in different people, whether that's cooking shows or you go to different events and stuff like that. And so networking is key. You got to know how to network. You got to know how to put yourself out there publicly as well as virtually, because virtually it's a competitive market, which is, virtually impossible to cut through like you really got to get lucky so the point being made is you increase your luck by the things you do in person you know what i'm saying you you can make your luck get higher so that's one of the biggest challenges is cutting through the algorithm so but i'm not afraid of that either though i'm like i got stuff for that so you release your debut album yeah boy meets girl what do you want people to remember about that album What I want people to remember most about that album is this is a man being vulnerable and trying to express himself to help us all out in love. You know I mean, that's the biggest thing I want people to know is that. Uh, and also, I gave my all on that album. Like, every single sound you hear came from my hands. Like, there was no co-producer. There was no co-writer or anything like that. So I sat there and crafted that thing from scratch. I mean, every lyric, every harmony, every note, everything. I sat there and crafted that thing from scratch. So I want you to feel the craftsmanship in it and also the vulnerability of it all. And listen to the storyline from track one to track 13. All the, all the songs connect to one another. So listen to it from top to bottom and understand that that's what I wanted to put into that album. Is it? Uh, what you got there? Cool, cool. So, cool. We we'll ask one more question. Let's see. Man, this is the last question. So, cool. It's not gonna be a question. I just want you to give a personal statement. Who is Tony Lavelle? Tony Lavelle is a. Tony Lavelle is a young man who has been through a lot in life. He's strong on the outside. But the inside, he feels everything. He sees everything. This brother has been ridiculed, talked down on, and has experienced a lot of hardship in life to the point that, to me, it's amazing that this young man can even do the things that he's doing now, seeing where he's come from. You know what I mean? So the perspective, the strength that it took take him to get here is incredible. So the point I'll make is that... Um, when you see Tony Lavelle, know that that's a human being. I don't care if you see him playing 20 instruments or anything like that. That boy come from nothing. That boy has been through a lot, and that boy is pouring his heart out. So that's who Tony Lavelle is, a boy who's been through a lot, who's just trying to spread love and inspire people. That's who Tony Lavelle is. 
It's a wrap. Let's, let's wrap it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.